Welcome to the social medium. No, I'm not a medium, but I do love different mediums, like social media and podcasting. You may know me from Savoir Vive by JJ, or my Beauty Fuel Food by JJ. Now, I am a business founder and entrepreneur. Take three, let's do this. So this Sunday, I'm so excited to be chatting with Elaine, who is a licensed acupuncturist who is specialized in facial rejuvenation. Thank you so much, Elaine. It's my pleasure. I'm glad I could get to talk to you. I'm so excited to hear more about your story and what brought you here and how you started um, acupuncture. Um, Is this something that you've always done? Has it always been a part of your life, Chinese medicine? Well, I think Chinese medicine has always been a part of my life because I grew up in a family, a Chinese family. And my mom used to say we had to eat certain foods at certain times of the year, certain things we couldn't eat because what it did to our bodies and also, you know, all the mythology around food. So I grew up around it, but I never thought I would study Chinese medicine because I never liked taking the Chinese herbs when I was younger. Okay. So for me, it was just like, there's no way I'm ever going to do Chinese medicine. So your mom had Chinese herbs and she would, like, if you had an ailment or something or other, she would say, like, take this. Yes, she would do that. And also certain foods that would reduce phlegm or reduce heat or reduce pimples. There's always something, there was always a reason for certain foods. And so how did it become a part of your life? Um, When I was in my late 20s, I left my first husband. And I ended up hanging out in Asia for a while. And at that time, I suffered from eczema. I've always suffered from eczema, but it got worse with stress. And then I um, was exploring other options because I realized that putting cortisone on my skin for life wasn't really an option. I just kind of started discovering that 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 just wasn't going to work. And initially, I thought I was going to go delve into um, homeopathy. No, because it's true. I mean, I guess this is also kind of like where it stems. It's interesting because now we've kind of come to a society, at least in Western cultures, where it's like, okay, we try all of these different things that are not really options. And then usually if you're not used to some kind of kind of homeopathic or natural way, it's kind of like you turn to acupuncture or something of that sort as a last resort. And then it's kind of the thing that ends up working a lot of the time, which is what's kind of strange and funny. Yeah, well, it, what's what's interesting is that um, after I left my first marriage and ended up living in Asia, my eczema became worse because one, the humidity, and two, also my mother had passed away right at like a couple months after I got divorced, and so st- the stress was pretty intense. I was twenty eight, so that's when your Saturn returns and when your whole adult life changes its right. um, course. And I ended up being quite sick. I was teaching English in Phuket, but I ended up being quite sick. And, you know, I just didn't, something in me was like, you know, I'm not going to take Western meds. So I ended up talking to some of my friends and they said, oh, there's this doctor in Sri Lanka who has this like teaching clinic and he does homeopathy. So I was like, great, I'm just going to go down Sri Lanka. I signed up for his course, whatever. And it turned out I was going to end up I was, and I ended up teaching, um, not teaching, I ended up learning acupuncture, Chinese medicine, and a little bit of homeopathy for two months and putting needles in people um, at two free clinics in Colombo with Dr. Jayasarya. That's kind of crazy. It was a total boot camp. I didn't think I was going to put needles in. I didn't know there was acupuncture there. I thought it was just homeopathy. 
but homeopathy homeopathy was like a side thing. Like he t- talked about it a little bit, but his main gig was acupuncture. And so you, I signed up for this school. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to hang out here. And so in the mornings he'd have a lecture. We'd talk about the different meridians and then the free clinic would start in the morning. And so basically these client, these patients would go to the doctor. He would talk to them, figure out what their ailments were. He'd write down the points and he'd give me the point selection. He's like, okay, go put these needles in them. And so I had this manual with me looking at where the point location was, sticking in needles that these people bought themselves, they bought and sterilized at home. It was insane. It was insane. That's so insane. So I had a morning clinic and an evening clinic. And in between we had lectures. So I learned about the meridians. I learned about this and that, but it was a total boot camp. That's and it was, and I didn't know that I didn't know that was what I signed up for. And as a result, I saw people every day because it was a free clinic in Colombo. And this is during the, when the Tamil Tigers were like bombing things. So you had to be really careful. And um, there was only like two, uh, two or three Western folks there, me being one of them. And so I ended up staying two months working eight hours a day at these two free clinics. And I saw people getting better. Okay. And for people who don't, I mean, this is actually a question for me as well, but so what exactly is the difference between like homeopathy and Chinese medicine? Well, they're two d- different animals. Chinese medicine is a bit, I think it's a little bit, well, I won't, I won't say it's more complex, but Chinese medicine takes into consideration a whole different methodolo- methodology, whereas homeopathy is like, like curing like. So homeopathy, for example, I think I had, I had an infection at one point. They took some parts of the skin that was infected and then they dilute it, dilute it, dilute it so that it imprints on the water molecules. So it's almost like a vaccination, but it's very similar to the idea of vaccination, but it's a much more diluted and a bit more complex. Okay. And that was just on the sides. His main gig was acupuncture for sure. I mean, you became obviously quite inspired by seeing these people get better. And what was the next step for you? The next step for me was to return to the States. And I realized that I had learned X amount of information, but I, if I wanted to actually pursue this as a career, I needed a bit more formal training. So I went back to the States, hung up with my friends in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and started researching schools. And originally I thought, oh, maybe I'll go to naturopathy school. And then I started realizing that I think acupuncture was probably the better um, trajectory because is more accepted in like hospitals and whatnot and insurance and the schools in California where I was applying were super well organized. It's actually interesting. I don't know that you have this um, same, you see things this way as well, but I don't know for me, at least um, in the U S I, I find that um, acupuncture is, is way more, is way more prevalent than naturopathy. Whereas here, there's so many people that are becoming naturopaths and acupuncture is, I mean, I understand it's also like medically considered different in France, if I'm not mistaken. Um, like you have to actually be a doctor for, for it to be actually considered or so, am, am I wrong? It's, it's a kind of, it's a, it's a very strange situation here because in other parts of Europe, it's accepted to be an acupuncturist without a medical degree. Whereas here there's a gray area and there's certain words you can't say. And I don't know about the education here because from what I understand, the schools, there's no school clinic. Whereas in the States, it's so well organized and controlled that you have X amount of hours. 
you have X amount of clinic time, you, you take your internships in hospitals, in homeless clinics, in fertility clinics with athletes. I actually did an internship at UCSD treating athletes. Wow. I, I did a clinic treating the homeless. But these are fully organized. You're next to doctors and, you know, other medical professionals. It's it's interesting because my dad, who is a doctor, and I think thinks I'm like, you know, not speaking the same language at all. If I talk about anything that's not like totally Western, actually studied um, acupuncture as his thesis in college. Um, just, Just goes to show how much people actually are interested in it and believe in it there. Um, not that saying that people don't believe in it here. It's just, it's, it's totally different. I think that, yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear from you, especially who have, who has experience in it, that like, it's, it is truly a, an organized situation over there. It's very organized and there's testing and people, I mean, you have to take a board exam. Whereas here it's still the school. I think, you know, I did over 3000 hours of schooling. Whereas here, I think it's maybe a couple years, but it's like, a week, like a week and a month. I'm not sure how many hours, but it's definitely not 3,000 hours. And there's definitely no click. So I asked my friends who go through the school, I'm like, well, who are you working on? It's like, how do you observe? How do you ask questions? How do you see a varied population? And they just like walk among, work among themselves. And I think maybe they go to China to observe. I don't really know the situation. I don't know how the schools operate here. I'm not saying it's not good. I'm just saying that it's different. It's different. It's not, um, it's not my experience. So I, yeah. I'm sure there's great practitioners. I just don't, I, what the school I went to PCOM in um, San Diego has three separate campuses and it's so organized that you okay. learn a bit of everything, including a lot of Western medicine. I mean, you learn pathology, pathophys, you learn anatomy. Chem- I mean, it's, it's pretty intense. And how long was your degree there? So 3000 hours, what does that make out to? It was about yeah. four years. Okay. So this is after I already got a bachelor's when I was much younger in philosophy. <laughs> so you got a bachelor's in philosophy, then mm-hmm. you spent some time in Asia, went back to the US, went to school mm-hmm. to be an acupuncturist. Yes. And, then- and also did Pilates training to, be comp- to become oh, a Pilates really? instructor. Because mm-hmm. I wanted to, because I loved Pilates, because I was also um, a professional rock climber for a couple of years. And Pilates really helped me climb. But at that point, I was a graduate student, and so I didn't have money to take Pilates. I figured, like, why don't I just invest and become a Pilates instructor so I can do Pilates and work while I go through acupuncture school? That's a pretty smart idea, and it totally makes sense that you're from Colorado, that you were, like, a professional rock climber. Well, it's more, it was more with my first husband that we actually end up climbing all over the world and putting up roots and stuff. So That's this amazing. was a long time ago, though. Because <laughs> now you're in France. So how did this France. happen? Um, well, I've been in and out of France for a long time with my first husband. We climbed all over the South of France. And then I was in, I guess I was in acupuncture school. I went to, oh, I was in acupuncture school and a friend of mine said that there, this is like 2003, said that she had a friend who was in France and they're looking for Pilates instructors to come over. I was like, well, I'll go over for three months. Why not? Just to hang out. So I took a sabbatical from acupuncture school, ended up here in the winter. And then I was going to go to Kalimnos in Greece to go rock climbing with a friend of mine, because that's when um, they were starting to really develop the climbing in, in Kalimnos. So I went with my friend 
and we met up with, there weren't that many people there because the weather was really crappy. And my husband was, um, my future husband was there with a bunch of friends climbing. So we all ended up hanging out together. And so that's how I ended up here. He spent a year with me in San Diego while I finished school and then we moved here. And it's been like 17 and the years. History. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when did the, the facial rejuvenation part come in? Because I mean, to be perfectly honest, how I discovered you was through famous posts that Clotilde posted where she kind of was like, this is, this person has healed me. And she showed like pictures of all of your different, you know, tools and stuff like that. And it was, I was kind of like, wow, who is this person? And how do I know who they are? And then just, you know, by fascination. And then I met you with Monique at the Holy Market little party. And you were telling me how you were like, well, this is really funny because I never do this kind of thing. And I mean, it makes sense from the the little that I know um, that Chinese medicine and then um, also, you know, all of these like tools also come from some kind of Chinese history. How did this all come about for you? I knew in acupuncture school that I was going to work on skin and beauty because I grew up with a mother who said like, you eat bird's nest soup because it'll make you more beautiful. You don't eat mango because it's going to give you pimples. And I suffer from eczema and there were so many things in Chinese medicine, like do this, do that, do this, do that, to improve your overall health internally as well. So I started preparing when I was in acupuncture school, especially being in California, taking classes and working on my Pilates clients. So I knew at early on that that's what I wanted to do. And I saw results. And this it's, I mean, now it's kind of like a la mode, but before I don't, I mean, at least to my knowledge, people weren't like buying guashas and no, no, this is like, this is way, this is like 15 years ago. So how did you discover all of this from school? From school. And also we learn about gua sha in, in acupuncture school. It's used. We didn't, it, we were scraping on the back. We didn't use, like using it on the face is, is kind is fairly new, but we were using jade rollers for a long time. In, on the, in, and on other parts of the body. Yeah, we can. Jade rollers mainly for the face though. Cause I mean, if okay. you look at jade is considered like the gemstone of the of royalty and so it's the, it's the stone of beauty and yin, pure yin. So that's been used on the face for like centuries. And so finally, you kind of did come full circle back to kind of what your mother had taught you, I guess, as a child. I mean, oh, totally. Yeah. You say to your kids? With my kid? <laughs> yes. my kid? Yeah, I tell her like not to eat certain things. And now I just started her. I, she looks at my stuff and she plays with it for sure. And um, she just, she's 11. So she started washing her face, putting moisturizer on and teaching how to massage it. But, you know, she's 11. She's like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. But she does play with my tools. So she's very aware of it. And I actually cup her. She rock climbs as well. So we do more cupping and needling for, for her, um, for sport rather than her face. But she's definitely aware. Like she sees what I do and she understands what I do. So hopefully that will be imprinted in her and like, how to take care of one's health. So also going back to kind of this, like this Instagram moment when I was like, who is this person? And I feel like you're kind of this like underground acupuncturist that everyone kind of knows about. It has wait lists for like really long if you want to go see you. And, but you still practice out of your home. It's totally like, you know, just a hundred percent you how did this all start? Did you just kind of start taking patients at home here in Paris? 
Now, I worked at a Pilates studio when I first moved. When I was, when I was in NC, I lived in NC for two years. I worked in okay. Geneva teaching Pilates, and I had a Pilates studio in my apartment and an acupuncture space. And I had acupuncture space in Geneva. So I've always, I've been very lucky. I made a good decision to teach Pilates. And as a result of having a relationship with your clients, when they find out you do acupuncture, they, of course, want to try it with you because they trust you. So I've always started um, treating people in Pilates studio initially in San Diego, in Geneva, and in my own space in NC. And then when I moved back to Paris, I obviously didn't have the same setup yet. And um, <clears throat> my good friend had a, a Pilates studio, and she's like, you can rent space if you want. So I was teaching Pilates, and then word got out. I mean, also, friends with other Pilates instructors, word got out that I was an acupuncturist. So then I just started very slowly and very word of mouth. I was just, I, you know, I just wanted to see how it would go. And did you ever imagine that you would be somebody that like ended up getting products sent to you and like real acknowledgement for your work? You know, I never really thought about that. I never planned. All I wanted to do was be a very sincere and authentic practitioner and to create good relationships with my clients and for them to feel safe. That's all I really wanted. And it seems like you've done a good job because you've created quite a clientele. I mean, I would assume so if it's this hard to get a, an appointment with you. And I also think that, you know, it's so interesting in this world where, you know, we're all kind of just like looking for happiness and to, you know, be healthy. And we're now so, I mean, especially with COVID and everything, we're so westernized. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what are the tools that you use from, your Chinese medicine background and more of Eastern medicine to stay well and also to stay happy and kind of like live the best life that you can? Well, first of all, you want to eat with the seasons and be aware of what your body's going through and what, what nature's going through. So you need to eat accordingly. You also need to exercise. I mean, you have to move your chi. That's what it comes down to. And also there's a part of me that, you know, my mother was very Chinese and a bit harsh sometimes. It, she always had that philosophy kind of like, you know, just suck it up, like get, get through it, but be aware of what's going on. And, you know, don't wallow in your misery rather than wallow, actually think about ways to improve your life. I've always had really good experiences with acupuncture and that it's always really had a positive effect on me. Like it's always really mm. affected me uh, in a good way in that it, you know, it, it, it works, but it's interestingly enough as somebody who's active and usually has tons of energy, most of the time when I've gone to see acupuncturists, they, they say that like my chi is like completely dead, which is super interesting because I don't feel like I'm somebody that that would be the case at all. What does that even mean? And how can we become more in tune with kind of what's really going on? Well, I mean, I think I think the problem I've run into with people who are really active and a bit hyperactive and busy is that they run an adrenaline and also like excitement. And they don't rest properly. And you're born with a certain amount of jing, jing, which is like your prenatal chi. And that's like a reservoir. And during your life, you're supposed to eat properly, rest properly, 
your emotions aren't supposed to like totally just dis- destabilize you. And so you add more chi on top of that with food, with, with rest and whatnot. But because of the way our lifestyles are these days, I mean, we're all on our phones too late or we're watching Netflix late or whatnot. We are not feeding enough new chi into our system. We're just using up our reservoir, which is why they found that your chi was really low because you're probably using up some of your prenatal chi. Which is why I tell people, like, try to go to bed by 11, which, you know, it's not easy for anybody. And I understand that because the liver, the liver time starts from 11 to 1. And that's when you need to nourish your blood. And that's when the liver needs to rest. And because of our society, our liver chi is always, like, super, 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 like, tense and high strung because we run on adrenaline, we're frustrated, we get pissed off, and we're rushing, and that eats away at your system. And if you're not resting enough, you're never going to replenish it. And so by refueling our chi, and I'm assuming this kind of goes back to the beginning of the conversation, like eating with the seasons and, and things like this, like what are the kinds of things as human beings in this society, in addition to, for example, going to bed before 11, because I mean, it's very true that it's very difficult for some, but then there are others that it's not difficult, but we're still somehow managing to diminish our, I guess, chi, if we're speaking in Chinese medicine mm. terms. Well, I do. Well, yeah. sometimes, sometimes I'm naughty, I sip too late. I, <laughs> I work out every morning. Now I do Pilates in the morning. I drink a lot of water with Chinese herbs in it, or mainly flowers. I really, I try to cook as much as possible and um, cook according to seasons, which I think is really important because so many people are drinking smoothies in winter and it's like, smoothies are cold. It's like, you're going to have digestive issues. And when you say eating with seasons, does it mean like eating seasonal vegetables or are you talking like eating warm when it's cold? Yeah, well, it's it's mixed. Like also eating seasonal vegetables. When it's cold out, do not eat eat something cold. And then when it's hot out, like in summer, you can have a salad, you have watermelon, all that kind of stuff. But you got to balance your flavors too. You can't have too many sweets. You can have too many things that are sour. You can't have too much alcohol. It's it's difficult. I get it because there's so much stuff available to us. But um, digestion is like, is, is is the main source of your energy. And then there's the emotional aspect. In what way? Well, I have so many clients recently who are slightly depressed because... Yeah, of course, it's a tough situation. Depressed or they're angry or people are going through breakups. So there's this whole, like, you know, the spectrum of emotions that also depletes your chi. And so you got to find a way to balance it. I know it's not easy. I mean, I get it. But then I don't... I'm not sure if social media really helps us emotionally. The majority of people social media does not help. Yeah. I think it's about knowing if you're one of those people or not. Right. Maybe because it's my job, it doesn't really bother me. Like I don't really compare myself to social media because it's just like, I look at it, but I mean, obviously there's still something happening because I'm seeing things, but um, I'm not like taking it to heart. I, I don't even know, but I, I know that it does affect a lot of people. There's so many, th- I mean, I'm sure even so much more from a Chinese medicine, more of like an ancestral practice 
it must be so hard to adapt to the way that we live. Well, yeah, I mean, we go to sleep too late. We don't get up early enough. We don't eat properly. It's it's hard. You know, people are, we're, we can get anything we want. We can eat whatever we want, whenever we want. And that doesn't, it doesn't always benefit you. I mean, we're all victims. I mean, I'm eating mangoes and, and they're not from here. <laughs> That's totally true. You know, so it, you know, it's hard. And then there's all these food intolerances and then, then people get kind of obsessed with things. I mean, I have, you know, I see it. I see the clients get, ups- get they get obsessive about certain things and I understand where that comes from. But then also you need to like, kind of take a step back and like, why am I getting obsessed about this? Like what other things in my life are unbalanced? It's so true. I mean, it's, it's not perfect. It's not, you know, it's not easy to have a relationship, to have a family, to, to have everything balanced. I mean, I'm not saying that my life is perfect. It certainly isn't, but I know what, what it looks like not to be free, but we're, we're imbalances are how you can try to balance it out a little bit. It really makes me think of this one instance um, over the holidays when we were at a hotel and somebody next to uh, us ordered an avocado toast and um, asked for gluten-free bread. And so at this specific place, they always ask if you have any intolerances. And so they like very nicely said like, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that you have a gluten intolerance. Do you have any other, any other intolerances? And the woman like looked at the waiter with like the look of death, like uh, it's not an intolerance, it's, it's a choice. And it was just kind of like, I mean, it's totally your choice, but it was just really interesting because then like, you know, obviously the, the avocado toast came out and you could tell it was on like, you know, kind of that gluten-free bread that's probably like, you know, God, totally yeah. like so many additives and whatever. It would have been so much better to probably just eat the regular bread. And in France, I think that things are maybe a little bit more calmer on that end, but in the U.S., it's just like not. Oh, every time I go to the U.S., I get sick. Same. It's no, crazy. I, I know you can eat a Whole Foods or whatnot, and you still get sick. Yeah, it's 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 really um, it's 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 a pity. I don't. It's it's sad. Yeah. Or yeah, maybe I've just maybe I'm just used to the food here, where you know you can get really good locally produced food. You can get meat that's you know raised properly. We have better choices here. Yeah, we have a lot of better choices here. That's for totally sure. What would be your advice for people that are kind of like caught up in all of these? Because I think especially it's really interesting also that you're a Pilates instructor. So there's also this like physical element. What would be your advice for people that kind of how, how to not get so caught up in all these now obsessions about like how to be quote unquote healthy? Well, I think maybe part of it is to... It's really hard. That's a very difficult question because now times now I tell people like maybe don't eat so much and see how your body feels. Yeah. Like I think there's something to be said for intermittent fasting or even just fasting because we snack nonstop. I mean, I do too. We snack and there, your body never has a break to like reset itself. Totally. And when you said we don't wake up early enough. Like what is the ideal way to quote unquote live? Like what, you know, go to bed before 11, wake up when uh, we're right now in, you know, beginning of winter, what should we be eating? Uh, How should we be moving? How much do we move? I know this is a lot of questions, but it's a lot of questions. (laughs) Yeah. It's just, it's really interesting because I think that people are so fascinated by like, Oh, what do they do? But it's kind of like, I'm just out of curiosity. Like what is, if somebody could try to do better, maybe, Maybe somebody who does already like okay, they eat really warm right now. So what could what else would would be the suggestion? 
also the type of exercise you do. I mean, it's winter. We're still in winter. I mean, we're spring's coming. But I don't think running at six in the morning when it's a minus who knows what freezing out is really the best plan. Because now during winter, especially during this is kidney period, this is the water element. It's better to do softer exercises like yin yoga or maybe soft Pilates or things that aren't as strenuous can be a bit more beneficial because this is a time where you're trying to slowly germinate things. You're, it's very internal. It's very yin. You should stay quiet. And the exercise should kind of reflect that to a certain degree. I'm not saying don't do anything. I'm saying move, but I don't think running a marathon or I don't know, doing, getting cold, like sweating tons. Yeah, like go for a walk instead of go for a run. Go for a walk or, you know, I think, you know, different types of yoga is good or stretching and, you know, you don't have to be outside when it's freezing. I, I, I'm always amazed when I see people running in shorts. Well, I mean, I think it's hard in your system. Makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you can, I think running outside is great in spring and summer. Like when it's early, when obviously not in summer when it's too hot, but you know, it's outside. It's like, it's the young period. Like you can be ex- outside, you can be exposed, you can expose your skin, you can sweat. It's perfect. But in winter, it's a little, little more internal. So you need to like kind of modify your lifestyle according to the seasons. Cause I don't do the same workout I do in the winter that I do in like spring or summer. The swimming, sense. I climb in the, I climb outdoors in the summer and spring. It's, it's totally different. That makes total sense. It's funny because this weekend I've been kind of like so tired and I couldn't figure it out. And then like throughout this discussion, I've been thinking about it and I've been like, oh yeah, maybe because I've been doing like Ashtanga yoga every single morning for the past couple of days. Maybe that was not the best idea. Yeah. I mean, you have, to, you, have, you have to test. I mean, see what makes you feel better because just because you have a hardcore workout doesn't necessarily translate into being really healthy. No, not at all. And I think that that's actually one thing, if I can say anything, I mean, in this past year, one thing that I've learned is, especially from the US, like that, that hard, like, oh yeah, I need to do, I need to work out every day. I need to do something every day. And I kind of stopped doing that. And I actually feel so much more so yeah. it's better. It's, it's yeah, really you have to nourish your yin. I mean, we're the society is very young, which is very active and open, action, action, action. And, you know, I get it. But then we're kind of forgetting the yin aspect of our life where it's a bit softer, a bit quieter, and a little cooler and soothing. Because we're used to action. We think, like, you have to succeed. I mean, we're all victims of it. If you, if you scroll through Instagram inevitably you're going to have some like, oh, I should be doing more. I should be doing this. I mean, I have moments like that because for a while, like I didn't post for a while because I was just too, I wasn't in the mood. I was too lazy. And, you know, the numbers go down and you start getting insecure, like, oh my God. And that's like, okay, I'll post. And so you have to balance it within yourself and figure out what you value and how to nourish those values. So to finish, it was recently the Chinese New Year, and yes, I know the tiger. It's the year of the tiger. What does this mean for us? Okay, so it's the year of the black water tiger, and it's yang. So the tiger is very active, very, very active. And, but there's a water aspect which renders this year to be potentially very emotional and very intense, like deeply intense. 
So the goal this year is there's going to be a lot of action, but you're going to have to learn how to surf, every, be, surf the water as it flows through quickly. And if you lose balance, you're going to be overcome by the water. So you have to be careful. And water is very emotional and deep. And you know how water moves? Like it can, it can flood or yeah. it, can just, it can just carry you smoothly. And it's also a yang year, which is very, you know, yang is very external and masculine. It's going to move. And the black corresponds with the water. So you've got you've, you've to be aware that it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of movement and you have to keep your balance. But that being said, there are certain signs of the zodiac that are going to have better luck than the others. So Zodiac is related to, to, to you're the tiger. So the Chinese Zodiac, every 12, it's 12 animals. And so this year is the year of the tiger. So if you are a monkey, a snake, an ox, and a tiger who's not turning 60 this year, you may have challenges this year. So the advice you can give is to get a pig charm because the pigs this year have the best luck. Aha. And so if you carry a pig charm, you're going to potentially have their luck to protect you. Well, thank you so much, Elaine. This was you're so welcome. fantastic. <laughs> I feel so lucky that I got the chance to chat with you.